celebrating success, learning from legends, and growing poppies. This is Talk Poppy Talk with Grace Lewis. Kia ora and welcome to Tall Poppy Talk. Gracie Francis is a collaborative pianist who has a remarkable life story that has her currently in New York City, where she is a CV star doctoral fellow at the Juilliard School. Gracie specializes in recital work with classical voice, but she has a broad experience with enthusiasm for instrumental collaboration, opera, harpsichord, and conducting. As a musician, she is ever-evolving and expanding her knowledge and experiences as a student. From the Suzuki method to her honours first class in classical performance in New Zealand to her Masters of Music at the Juilliard School and now her doctorate. She's a pianist, but she's also so many other things. She's a teacher, coach, choir conductor, music director, accompanist, Fulbright New Zealand scholar, Kovner fellow, sister, daughter, friend, She's a diversity advocate and honours awardee and performs regularly with fellow prize-winning musicians across the globe. I literally could not include all of your awards, Gracie, because that was <laughs> insane. And honestly, with such a full, unique and impressive story, I cannot wait to ask Gracie all about her experiences. It's really such an honour to welcome you today to Tall Poppy Talk. Gracie, where and how are you today? Thanks for having me to start with. It's so exciting to be a part of your project. I am at my apartment in New York at the moment. I live in the Fort George area, so kind of up the top of Manhattan Island, and I'm doing well. Uh, I just got back from visiting my sister. She lives in Germany, and in a few days, I'm leaving to go to the Tanglewood Festival, which is two-month-long music festival in the Berkshires which is in Massachusetts and yeah I've just got a lot of packing and practicing to do for that it's a nice summery day and I'm here talking to you oh my goodness wait two months are you there for the whole two months I will be there and I'll be <laughs> doing concerts and having lessons and working with lots of cool people so yeah but it is a long time it's hard to imagine that'll be the longest time I've spent anywhere other than New York since I left New Zealand so it'll be it'll be a significant chapter I think yeah oh wow yes from just researching you I was like she's on the move like you're in (laughs) (laughs) Berlin this part of New Zealand this part of America like all over the place which sounds fabulous and like I said full and with music probably I assume driving a lot of that my first question is how would you define yourself outside of music um it's a really cool question and I think actually something that is probably worth asking a lot in the music community because I think that a lot of us in my circles get into a very music defined mindset a lot of the time especially you know the work that we do is is very high pressure and it can become very like big in our heads I would say and I try and think I sort of try and think about that question that you just asked for myself pretty often just as a good like reminder and like a grounding moment I will say this sounds so funny but the first way that I define myself outside of music is as a sister because I have an identical twin growing up with someone who does everything with you is really defining and really shaped my whole childhood and also shaped who I became as a musician as well, but also as a person. And 
I remember even when I did like college applications and stuff, one of the questions they ask is like, what are some important influences on your life? And I always answered that it was my sister, Olivia, who has everything to do with how I turned out as a person. With my eventual career in music being a career that is essentially about other people. And that's kind of the other way that I define myself is as someone who exists in connection with others and exists as an advocate and encourager of other people, basically. It really came out of working all the time with Livy, playing together musically and and going to school together, doing everything together. I mean, I, I think the other big defining element of my life is my identity as a queer person. I've been thinking about that a lot lately too because I feel like I'm of a generation which for whom it was really defining to be queer as a young person and I think that's probably still the case now for people who are in their early 20s or late teens but in a different way than it was for me and I would never change any of that it was a really hard experience to come out at the time that I came out which was 10 years ago almost exactly it really it shaped my community it shaped the people that I spent time with and worked with also in music as well <laughs> and also has really shaped how I think about the world this imagining of an alternative way of being has from the norm I guess has helped me to see things from other people's perspectives and that honestly is probably my most crucial quality as a person who works in the music circles that I work in we will get to later like your service to others and I absolutely love that you've encompassed that and I didn't know what you were going to respond to that question but just from reading things about you you have such an eloquent ability to connect with others whether it's coaching or music or obviously with your twin sister that's this super strong bond you were put in this world as a twin for a reason because connection is obviously so important to you that is really beautiful and for those who might not know she's violin yeah she's a violinist she plays in the symphony orchestra in Hamburg in Germany yeah wow and so you obviously just saw her but how often do you get to meet up we've actually managed to see each other pretty often lately but it was that kind of came out of a long period where we didn't see each other because of the pandemic and it was really hard for us because we grew up very close and we're in touch in some form pretty much every single day and then to not see each other for for I think it was three years around that length yeah um to not see each other for three years was it's really weird as a twin <laughs> and so it's been really cool I saw her last March she came um to hear a really important concert that I did in New York and then we saw each other last summer in Berlin and then she actually came it was so beautiful and special she came um again this March that's just been in April to perform in my doctoral recital so we did a concert that I was assessed on for my degree but more importantly was an opportunity for us to play together again and our parents came from home it was their first 
visit to me since I started it at Juilliard and they got to hear us play together which was really special so we've tried I think to yeah after those really hard few years we sort of said okay that can never happen again <laughs> and we've really like made an effort to connect as often as we can yeah that is so wonderful and I can imagine you were not even the I'm sure the degree was important in the moment but performing with your sister having your parents there like what a special moment in this historical incredible place that is like Juilliard so it's such an important thing to think about in terms of defining yourself outside of maybe like you know your main title I think about it often because when I'm trying to summarize a guest I'm speaking to I tend to hone in on like you know pianist or this but you're so much more than that so I love that we could begin by touching upon that but then I have to dive straight into a music question, which is there are so many beautiful, wonderful, loud instrument choices. Why the piano? Um, I mean, in terms of why I learned the piano, that was definitely chosen for me by my mum, who started both of us uh, in lessons when we were four. So Olivia also learned the piano with me. And then she started the violin a few years later. And I think at the beginning, it was really just something that mom and dad really wanted us to do as something creative and something that developed our brains differently than school, you know. But down the track, I kind of realized that it piano was one of the best instruments if you want to work with other people because it goes really well with so many different instruments group in groups um, with singers because it provides like melody and harmony it's such a complete instrument in a lot of ways and it can fulfill a lot of roles which was kind of like to me I see that as a parallel to what I try to do in music is look for the many different roles that I could fill when I'm interacting with another person and actually I learned the oboe for a long time in high school I played for I think about eight years and I really enjoyed it and it came to choosing what to study for my undergraduate degree and I chose the piano because I already knew then that I wanted to work with other people and I think at that time that was probably a little bit unusual there were a lot of people that came in with me to study piano who really were determined to be soloists and I think that's a little bit different now I think there's a much more of a movement towards Pian even young pianists who realize that the most fun is to be had when you're with other people when I started an undergrad it was it was unusual but it was the way that I chose to play piano rather to study piano rather than oboe um, was because I could kind of see in the future what that would bring me and that makes sense now with the collaborative pianist like in every essence of the word off that because you started when you were four the Suzuki method was something that kept coming up could mm. you please like what is that what is the Suzuki method yeah so it's a method of learning an instrument and there are Suzuki method training for piano cello violin flute I think there's harp like it exists for for a bunch of different instruments and it's a really 
special and unique way of learning that involves learning entirely by ear. So you don't learn to read music, at least not in the beginning. So I think we learned for three years before we before there was any like paper in front of us that had dots and lines and all of that stuff. We were just learning by listening to recordings and to our teacher playing and that kind of thing. And it's it's kind of an interesting um method to have a history in when you become a professional musician because there I think there are some corners of the professional music world that frown on Suzuki as a method because the delay in in note reading but honestly it has it, it was I would not be the type of musician that I am now if I had not learned that way because I mean the whole point of learning to prioritize listening is the first thing that you do as a musician is it's still the most important thing in the work that I do now as a musician so I'm really grateful for that and also I mean the main the other main element of Suzuki encompasses so much but the other main element really is what they call like the triangle between parent teacher and student so at all stages the parent is really involved in the lessons like my my mom and dad would come to watch the lessons and they would be kind of learning along with us and also in between the weekly lessons mum would sit with us to do our practice and she had just like a perseverance that I can't even imagine <laughs> to practice with us every day I mean when we were four it wasn't for a very long time per day but still to get a four-year-old to concentrate on something yeah she was so fun about it she you know I remember like all of the really like innovative ways that she had to not even like convince us to practice but to like make us excited about practicing and we had like these little reward systems with stickers and little erasers that were shaped like animals you know and she was both mum and dad but like especially mum at the beginning she had so much belief in the value it had for us and I'll always be so grateful to her for that because I, I do think those years were really critical in developing how I think about music now which is weird to say because four-year-old me would have had no consciousness of that but when I look back on it I know that was really important. We briefly talked about this before we started recording but you tr have traveled around and like you said two months is a long time in one spot because you're constantly on the move and there's all these opportunities and avenues of exploration from New Zealand, Berlin, New York, more. What guides you as you make your choices as to what's next? Um, It's a good question. And it's also something I try and think about often and remind myself of my philosophy, I guess, on this. And I had a really cool conversation with one of my Juilliard professors about this. Uh, her name's Lydia Brown. And she said to me that at all stages of making a decision, you have to be aware of what the different like options are and then which ones are important to you. So she said, you know, if you get offered a concert here or um, a residency there, is it about the people you'll be with? Is it about really wanting to visit that particular country or city? Is it about maybe really needing the money at that time in your life? Or maybe it's about playing the particular music that you're going to play for that concert. And I try and keep that in mind and work out 
like for myself at any time what's important at that moment in terms of place person repertoire you know that kind of thing and also how to balance those things out and I think it's I've been fortunate that it's really that's really worked for me there have been times in my life where opportunities have presented themselves and I've felt uncertain for some reason even for an opportunity that seems like it could be really cool and when I'm looking back on it I don't know exactly how I worked that out but there were times where I just felt that it wasn't the thing to do and I think what's the most difficult about it is having other people around who say that seems so cool why wouldn't you do that you know and especially when I'm thinking about coming to America for example so I'm a little bit older than most of the graduate students in music here and I had originally I came out of my undergrad at Auckland Uni and I applied to the National Academy in Melbourne in Australia and it went well and I they offered me a place and it would have been a really cool school it's an amazing school and I just felt like it wasn't the right time so I didn't go and what ended up happening in those years between undergrad and eventually coming to America for grad school was exactly what needed to happen for me in terms of like working working out what ways I want to be a leader and what ways I want to be an educator all of these like other life things and not music things necessarily and I feel really glad to I think have developed a reasonably sure sense of yeah what the right mix of things is for myself and not really be too worried about other people's opinions <laughs> um I mean even to come to the U.S. Uh, I had considered going to Germany because I really wanted to be near my sister and to study there and I did this long trip I I visited lots of cities in Germany and I played for all the professors and then I just felt like it wasn't the time yet and I waited and in the end I was awarded a Fulbright scholarship which is to America which totally changed my life <laughs> so I do feel really grateful to have had people who have advised me to cultivate that sense for myself rather than just advising me to do particular things at particular times yeah I, and I think I've yeah I, I do feel very lucky to have that at the age that I am now yeah, because I'm listening to that and I'm like, yeah, looking back, as we'd said before, oh, easy to see the dots connecting when you look back. Like, of course, I didn't go to Australia because or Germany because I ended up at Juilliard. But at the time, you didn't know that. And so it's more about what guided you on that. And I really appreciate what your professor had said about like knowing all your options and knowing maybe where your value of them is, but also at the time, because especially we're practical people, money factors in, like, oh, maybe this is a cool opportunity, but I need to think a bit longer term, not just shorter term, and all those things factor into it, and also, from what I can see, is, like, in that time after you graduated from Auckland, you spent a lot of, a lot of energy and compassion, like, service to others, and that's what I referenced at the start. You're a mentor, and you educated like an educator with youth organizations or now like your role as a diversity advocate those years in between 
graduating in Auckland and coming here sounds like you fostered this real sense of again building your foundation of working with others and being collaborative so could you share any strategies or advice on life balance I wish I could give more concrete advice but I will have to say that like sometimes it's just a feeling or it's going with things that come along that feel right so one thing that happened as I finished my undergraduate degree I kind of started a little bit during the degree and then when I graduated um it really kind of took off and that was that I was really grateful to be learning the piano and everything and it was important but I hated being in the solo degree even though it's kind of necessary to develop on the instrument I knew that wasn't really what I was meant to be doing and there was a student another student who was a singer he was a little ahead of me and he was starting to work in high schools as a choir conductor and we became friends he asked if I would come along to these high school rehearsals to play the piano for the choirs I really want to give him a shout out his name is Lachlan Craig and we worked together for the next eight or nine years I think until I came to the states and he really paved the way for me to work out how to be in the music space and how I wanted to be in the music space and in terms of being a leader and being an educator it really meant that I my musical life took a turn into like really directly out of this very solo degree my musical life took this turn towards just working for other people and it's cool it's really cool like working with young people because you can see how much it it impacts them and how much it changes their experience and especially like in high schools where in choir especially it that can mean bringing someone to music who otherwise would have nothing to do with music and might only be going to class and playing sports and stuff and that was it was such a special time really and it it was about the music but in lots of ways it wasn't even really about the music it was about realizing all of the other impacts that doing music or doing music together can have um for, it started out with kids and then I worked also with Lachlan with the Auckland Youth Choir it's a an ensemble for mostly like Auckland University students or or yeah in the in the Auckland area um for people who aren't musicians but who really want to be together and be in community and to sing together I started realizing that music I love it but really it's for me it's more about like what it carries like the vehicle it can be for achieving other things and the other person I would really like to mention is Nicholas Forbes and he invited me to come on as the assistant director of GALS the gay and lesbian singers that was a few years after I left undergrad that was a really special moment and a really it was a really hard learning curve in that I realized that that group came together to do music but not because of music they came together because of their queerness and to be in community with each other as queer people and the music was a way to express that and a way to have fun and everything but it wasn't about being perfect and about you know that very like elite approach that 
when you study music can become very like overwhelming or very, it, it comes very much to the front of the hierarchy of priorities. I felt like I had been trying to develop my outreach and my leadership and learn who I want to be as who I wanted to be as a leader in music. And then I came to gals and I realized I had to, I really had to rethink all of that because I came in, I came in trying to help them be better at music. <laughs> and I realized that they needed something else from me. They needed someone who brought love and joy and enthusiasm and also music but firstly those other things and especially in a queer space and especially working a lot of the members of gals are of an older generation than me and queer people from from those older generations have a lot of um they've been through a lot and experienced a lot of difficult things in life and I they firstly struggled to trust me at the beginning because I was so young and I'm totally aware that even for my own you know I've had a few struggles as a queer person but not not in the same not really even in the same ballpark as what some of those people experience in their lives and I knew that to develop that trust in which I would come to a place where I could be helpful to them would take something other than showing them that I was good at music that that wasn't a part of that was almost irrelevant to gaining their trust and that was that was such an interesting learning curve for me and I think like with the timing of things I I, I did sort of come to feel after a certain number of years that I had really been working mostly on those things that you mentioned so like being a leader being an educator and I hadn't really been working on music for a while like not seriously working on developing my craft and that was honestly fine because that was on purpose and then I just felt like it was time to spend a few years improving my own skills and not really for me but for to help me become someone that's more even more useful to the communities and spaces that I'm in and that was that was really it. That was like the pendulum just swung a little bit the other way. And I said, okay, I'll apply to the US for grad school to spend a few years doing my own thing, I guess. And I think what has been hard is that even though the pendulum has swung that way and I've, that's really where the balance, the thing that you ask for advice on has become really difficult for me because I've been trying to focus on my own development but also retain those elements of outreach in the work that I do in the ways that are possible at Juilliard. And that looks really different than it looked when I was in New Zealand. How do I put this? I feel like Juilliard is an interesting community because the people that are good enough to get in there are normally people who have had to be very self-focused in life in order to reach that level. And that's a habit that's hard to grow out of. And it means there are a few reasons why it can be tough to navigate service roles at Juilliard because it's also, it's a, it's a very small school. We're only, I think we're 850 students or thereabouts. It means that it doesn't have the same kind of like school spirit that you might be used to um, in a 
regular university, especially in America where, you know, school spirit is a, is a really big thing. And it's not at all that we don't have a sense of community, but it's not the same type of, it's not the same type of thing where people are interested in doing things outside of what is necessary for them to succeed in their specific art form. But in a weird way, I think that's why it's important that I am interested in that and act on that because, and also because I'm a little bit older and I feel like I have the brain space for that. I kind of feel like quite a sense of responsibility in that way to offer that to my community at Juilliard because I do feel like someone who has has room for that doing things like the Gluck community service outreach actually I did that normally it's something where you we we go to play in person to hospitals and you know rest homes that kind of thing but I actually did it during the pandemic so we had these zoom calls (laughs) sometimes we would go on the zoom and these people living in hospitals or in the rest homes would be individually signed on on their devices which is really it was really cool and it was an opportunity that I haven't really had at all in America other than than in that setting to meet people who were completely outside of my circle I had so many interesting conversations that I actually think wouldn't have happened if I had gone in person you know like I had people asking me a lot about like New Zealand culture and asking me to share about that and having conversations about, you know, why do I speak English if I'm from New Zealand, you know, again, stuff. and it was a really unique experience to, to share. And I think that's been important. And I don't know, I don't honestly know if the ways that I've been attempting outreach and service for others, whether they've been the best and most effective ways to do that in the US. And I'm still kind of looking at what that looks like, because I do think I felt, I mean, also because I was more focused on just doing that when I was in New Zealand, I do feel like I was more effective at home and I had more of a direct connection with the people I worked with. And that's different to build when you're in a place that you're not from. I'm just thinking more about how that will be over the next little while. Also, I'm sure you're you're familiar with this, but like how I might capitalize on how novel it is to be. A, um, a Kiwi in the US and that there's a different type of connection that's out there that's possible because of that particular relationship and how I might be able to kind of bring myself to my communities somehow through that avenue um, rather than being worried that I'm not from here and you know would they do they want me in those spaces but but working out yeah how I can use that that's a unique element of me and I can apply it. I can find a way of, of applying it or, or going down that path. Yeah. Leaning into it because how often have people probably said to you, you're the only person or the first person I've met mm-hmm. from New Zealand. And I'm like, okay, I have to represent the country. Like, <laughs> I need to make sure I'm showing them the best of us. So 100% can be a little off-putting at first because you're like, oh yeah, I'm not from here. But actually most of the time, people think it's pretty darn cool that we're from New Zealand and like you said they have a bunch of questions and I'll try to answer them and if not I'll google so I can <laughs> knowledge yeah. yes and I really like how you said like the flow of your life and the choices you've 
made, which we discussed earlier, now you are in this place where you have capacity. And because you spent a decent amount of time, like really working with others and connecting now that it is time to be in an environment where people are more self-focused and not in a negative way, because it's just your, as you said, you're sharpening your skills and your craft. Like you have to be focused on yourself, but you've built that capacity which had you just gone straight from like undergrad to grad to doctorate, you wouldn't have had that ability to grow and allow that space. So again, it just flows so nicely that you've, <laughs> you've ended up there. I mean, I'm always curious, but I'm extra curious because of, as you said, being in the States and also you've been like in Berlin, traveling around, you've experienced a lot of different like social structures and values in your own words, what is tall poppy syndrome and have you experienced it? I've been thinking about this a lot since you contacted me and how I would talk about this. And I mean, I'll firstly say that I don't I don't feel consciously that I've experienced any negative outcomes from tall poppy syndrome, even though I know that I've encountered it. Um, I was very fortunate to grow up in a family that encouraged like high achieving and stuff and and to be in school environments where that was really like in New Zealand I mean where that was really rewarded but I mean weirdly I've been thinking about it as a like a broader idea and honestly to me tall poppy syndrome feels like it comes out of an an impulse for equity and it might not always manifest <laughs> in a positive way or be expressed in a positive way, but it's almost like that New Zealand instinct for everyone to be, I don't know, getting off on the same foot and starting from a, you know, being almost like being in community, being on the same page as each other. And I wonder also if a part of it is like a protective instinct because to stick out too much it's not even like maybe sometimes it manifests as jealousy or judgment but again like to me it seems like it comes out of an impulse for keeping everyone together in a pack you know like protecting each other and I mean one way I really felt like I experienced it was when <laughs> when I applied when I decided not to go to Australia or Germany and instead to come to America my friends were, some of my friends and even like mentors and stuff were kind of worried because they felt like, not that they felt like I couldn't do it, but they felt like if I stuck my neck out like that, I would find it really hard and that I would find life stressful, especially when I was accepted to Juilliard and I was, I was, I applied to a few schools and I was trying to choose where to go. And a lot of people counseled me not to choose Juilliard because they were, scared for me and I really felt like that was tall poppy syndrome you know it was like it wasn't like they were judging me for sticking out they were afraid of, for me they were afraid for what I might experience as someone who stuck out it comes from I think a lot of like for me like from my experience I mean it came from a lot of like preconceptions of how Juilliard is and I will acknowledge that that is, is really not the experience I had at all you know this idea that everyone's 
really mean and competitive and all that kind of stuff, which is just like not the way I've experienced it at all. Everyone's been very welcoming and I've really loved my time here. But even if it had been this idea from home and not at all from everybody or anything like that, there are a lot of people that were very encouraging and said, oh, obviously you have to accept it. But it's just so interesting that those few people, yeah, it was like, if it had been that way, that it would have been more important to not go and protect myself from experiencing something negative, even if it had still been a chance for me personally to develop like at the piano or or even to develop in, in that environment of hostile, apparently hostility, that the benefit that I might've gotten from learning how to navigate that hostility wouldn't have been worth it because it would be more important to be safe and protected that was a really revealing opinion to encounter and it it forced me to think about it too because I kind of had a moment I mean it was like leaving home to come here was one of the most stressful periods of my entire life and I did like I had moments where I was like what am I doing like this huge mistake what if I hate it you know and like I had all of those those qualms for myself just because I didn't know how it would be until I came and that's true for all of us for everything that we do that's that's unknown and new to us but it was a test for me to firstly decide to prioritize my own impulse for whether to come here or not but also to consider that opinion and and it was really the first time that I'd been forced to think about that and and why people felt the urge to express that not just that they felt that but they really had to tell me (laughs) they really had to make sure that I knew that it might be really bad and scary Uh, yeah it was really that was really enlightening and I think even that itself before I even came here was like going through the process of considering that was itself a way in which I felt strengthened and I felt more more able to cope with like potentially being a tall poppy and sticking out here in the state. So I'm, I'm sort of grateful to have experienced it, even though it it made me stumble a little bit, like especially to hear from the odd, like important mentor from Auckland University, for example, to hear that they really thought I shouldn't go. <laughs> like that was, yeah, it really, it, it forced me to back myself. And you strike me as someone who is one very inquisitive but two would probably make a positive out of the situation regardless like you said if you did get here and it was super competitive and I don't know what people would do to sabotage someone else but I could see you being like oh okay I'll learn from that and what an experience and you roll with that and mold you and it will push you propel you to your next thing I had to write down when you said it's an impulse for equity so succinctly put and that's why people maybe feel like compelled to say something about what someone else is doing because what if it doesn't go right or like where are you going like I need to have said something because someone needs to say it to be honest I think one of the elements of tall poppy syndrome is and I mean this is totally generalizing but this idea that succeeding or being a tall poppy is synonymous with a particular type of very individualistic personality type that is you know very career focused and maybe not people focused but 
this idea that to succeed is to also possess all of these other qualities. I think that's, to be honest, I think that's why I was counseled by these people against that because people meeting me, I think in general, as you say, like see me to be kind of a like friendly person. And I don't feel, I also don't feel myself to be a particularly ambitious person. Like I'm kind of here to learn and have a good time and all that kind of thing. But I I don't have those personality traits, I don't think, that are really competitive and ambitious. And I think one thing that has been so helpful for me and I think would be really helpful for, for lots of people to imagine is that it's possible to be a tall poppy and to be very successful while still being someone who is prioritizing others and in community with others and and not really with the goal of becoming a tall poppy I mean I don't know that that people do that but like not even with really with a goal of like self-success necessarily the term I sometimes use is like it's not a zero-sum game we can all level up together so I love it yeah you can have humility and be um confident those are not two conflicting things they're the same and often people who are really passionate about the thing they do much like probably why Juilliard isn't this scary place is because if you're there you really love what you're doing and you're probably stoked to be surrounded by other people who love their niche (laughs) that's just like such a awesome rare environment to be in I think what's beautiful about probably music versus I was in rowing that sport thing every time you perform quotation marks for those listening um (laughs) you're literally racing someone else and there's a clear winner whereas music or arts there doesn't have to be a loser Mm -hmm. we can we can all win and experience and share the time together so that's yeah as you're talking I was like oh that sounds very nice (laughs) (laughs) what are some of the core similarities between all the environments that you've experience when you've been performing what is something that is the same despite how all over the show the actual locations have been this sounds kind of cliche and also kind of repetitive (laughs) the other things I've been saying but in the spaces that I've tried to find myself in or put myself in it is a common thread that all of the people in those spaces want to be working with other people For example, when I was in Berlin last year, I I worked at the Opera Academy and those people are there to to create something together. And I think that's a common theme that people are excited about that and excited about the newness of possibility because no two groups of people are the same and any environment that I go to, whether it's there or I worked at a festival before I was in Berlin, I was in Charleston where we premiered an opera called Omar by Rhiannon Giddens, the story of Omar Ibn Said, who was sold into slavery in Charleston, and the opera was about him. And that was such a unique story and such a unique cast of almost entirely singers of colour who came together to tell that story. And that was a situation that existed for the first time in that moment and I was I mean I was just glad to be a tiny part of it and be there to to see that to see what was created I don't know if the people in those spaces would define it this way but I think that there's also like an I don't know if I can say like an educational impulse in those spaces too that was probably more explicit when I was in New Zealand 
in that I was working more in schools. With any ensemble or group of people that comes together to make music, we're all there learning from each other, even when we're professionals. Share and sometimes to teach the people that listen, that come to the performances. And I mean, especially with an opera like Omar, it was a story that was new to all of the people that came to, to listen and watch. As I say, I don't know that other people working in those spaces would explicitly define it as an educational role, but I do think it is just, and not on purpose, but just by existing, by performing, people are learning things that they've, or encountering things that they've never encountered. And that happens to me a lot when I, when I give concerts, no matter where I am in the world, people come and talk to me afterwards and say, you know, I've, I'd never heard that piece before, or I'd never imagined putting those two composers together, or I've never heard that voice type sing that kind of song. I, I, I worked a lot with William Sokoloff, who is a baritone. He's a singer now moving to Germany <laughs> to work there, but he was at Juilliard with me. And we sang some songs together that are normally performed by women. And Will, as someone who is really comfortable exploring his gender, felt like that was a really interesting space for him to explore and for for him to contribute something. And there were people in the audience that heard it that were so mad and that learned something from hearing something they'd never heard before. Yeah, those are the two threads of commonality that I see that that working together and learning together, I guess. What's so cool about those two instances you pointed out with Omar and then, well, it's like, especially with music, I'm sure there's some things that have been around for a very, very, very long time and everyone has their own rendition, but to be a part of something where it's like, well, this is the first time it's been told that is super historical and educational and like that serves as the starting point. So you really want to make sure you get it right. Okay, my, my question that I finish is just such a contrast to the beautiful things you've been saying. But if you had to have just one meal for the rest of your life, <laughs> breakfast, lunch, or dinner, what is it going to be? You mean like a specific uh, thing to eat or like would I have breakfast, would I have lunch, or would I have dinner? <laughs> so one thing, like for example, and I do not agree, someone chose butter chicken. I was like, that's terrible. You regret <laughs> that after two days but okay so yeah it's like one thing they would have for every meal that you're going to have forever wow I would definitely have breakfast for every meal I don't even know if it's about like the thing I would eat but because I do believe that breakfast is the most important meal of the day I would have eggs people who know me know that I'm a big eggs person this is um embarrassing but also completely on brand my egg cushion and I have so many egg like accessories that I wear and like decor around my apartment eggs would feature I think coffee would have to feature the best food in the world hash browns this is shaping up to be quite the quite the breakfast meal <laughs> and I think you've chosen things that are clever because eggs you can like poach or scramble or fry how do you what's your go-to I normally okay I've been lately making this really chaotic savory breakfast that um involves like a jammy egg so it's like soft boiled and then I grate a clove of raw garlic into um, some yogurt <laughs> and like mix it up with like olive oil and chili and then you just put the eggs on top and if you cut them 
exactly right then the yolk just yeah it's in there and then you dip the toast in crazy that is excellent <laughs> okay and then how's the coffee is it milk black sugar what is going on there um just with milk no sugar I have this thing every time I go to a coffee shop and see like some kind of cool flavor that you can order I'm like I'm gonna do it and every single time I hate it <laughs> um the only one that I found that I like is um this one that you can get at like Vietnamese restaurants where they have it with condensed milk which is like it's so good it's really good um, but normally I'm just I'm a basic girl with my with my oat milk normally <laughs> Oh, I love that. And this is probably the most on board I've been with someone's choice. So <laughs> is there any final words you have or something? Like if people can look out for something, it doesn't have to be, but this is your floor if you have anything else you want to say. Um, I was thinking about like if I had to talk about the future, um, what I would say. I will say, I mean, in the fall, I'm excited to to work at Juilliard. I'm going to be a teaching fellow for history for the first time which is very exciting and I'll get to do a little bit of lecturing and start practicing what that might be like in the university setting <laughs> but just like thinking about the long-term future in one sense I really don't have a plan and I've always tried to be a little bit like that like just to be open to possibility the one thing I will say this sounds kind of wild but I've always said to myself that if at any moment piano stops being the way in which I'm most useful to the world and to other people I'll stop and do something else so far that hasn't been the case <laughs> but it still might be and that's like a reminder for myself um, I've thought about going into like counseling training as a as a therapist I've also I've always thought about going to med school I used to when I was little my dream was to be um, an ophthalmologist I don't know you never know <laughs> um but just to say like not as any kind of I don't know advice or something but you know to people listening that it's not about what you do it's about why you do it and it's always good to remind yourself of the why and then work out if the what that you're doing right now is the best way to to do your why <laughs> and it's something I do I think about every few weeks check in with myself yeah it's been really important for me thank you for joining tall poppy talk and spending time with me today thank you thank you so much for having me I actually had a really it was really nice for me to, to have the opportunity to talk about these things and to share them so yeah thank you so much thank you so much for listening to tall poppy talk we'll see you next time feel free to check us out on socials youtube and the website thanks for today's guest Take care. Be kind.